we have these crossroads. And you know, either way you choose, your life is going to be different. The universe doesn't exist, but God thinks it does. We have to stop consuming our culture. We have to create culture. Stupidity has a definite evolutionary function. I am all for abolishing stupidity, but before it goes, we should pay tribute to it. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Nonsense Bazaar. We're your hosts. I'm Sequoia Kennedy. And I'm Willow Truman. And Willow, because you're sitting here with me, it means that you enjoy my company. I do. And dear listener, because you've chosen to listen to this podcast, it means that you trust us to inform you or at the very least entertain you. No, it doesn't. None of that actually means what I said it means. I mean, it's kind of true. Allow yourself to think about it for a hot second. Like, because you're sitting here with me, that means that you enjoy my company. If you allow yourself to think about it for a hot second, you'll understand that it's all nonsense. And you'll also come to understand that I'm doing it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You're telling me what to think. Yes. Very. And hopefully you'll see that this type of shit happens literally all the fucking time. Yeah. These language patterns, these like ways of ways of speaking. And usually through people who are trying to sell you something, mm-hmm. you know, whether that's an ideology a way of life or a fucking smartphone or a DVD of a seminar wherein you'll learn the simple, powerful, easily applied secret to mastering your life. Yeah. And winning in love, business, politics, whatever the fuck. It'll get you a bigger dick and a faster car too. Fuck it. It's NLP, baby. Oh boy. Oh yeah. Nice linguine pasta. <laughs> Non-local pornography. Yeah. Is, I don't know what that is. That's just, just. <laughs> it's out of state. <laughs> NLP, or Neuro Linguistic Programming, is a system of self-betterment and personal mastery with some severely psychopathic overtones that's been a cultural force in all the worst places since its development in the 1970s. Every slimy sales trick, every one simple trick, Tony Robbins-ass seminar, hero pose, feel it, feel the vibe, you know what the fucking vibe is. Oh, yeah. It's a conference room in St. Petersburg, Florida. It's a booklet with bad photoshops. It's the art of seduction over Heineken's at an airport bar. It's every course normally priced at $3,000 that can be yours for only $19.99 today. Yes. Yeah. You want to know what the worst, the absolute worst part of NLP is? It, it works. It works. Yeah. It works to a point, to a point, if it vibes with your style. Mm-hmm. Because while a quick Google search claims that it's a pseudoscience... NLP doesn't claim to be a science, and what it is, in reality, is a modern system of magic. Now, I'm going to say the exact same thing using different words, and it's going to have a totally different effect. Okay. Because while even cursory Googling readily, easily reveals NLP to be a pseudoscience, it's much more in line with other widely discredited forms of magical thinking. Exact same thing. A quick Google search, Google will tell you NLP is a pseudoscience, but it's actually a system of magic. Yeah. Same information. Right. Different ways of structuring it. Definitely. Completely different effects. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Which is NLP. That mm-hmm. is a, a principle of it. Yeah. So by changing the language pattern, I change the emotional impact and the effect of stating the exact same thing. Yeah. By only giving you one of those, I would prime you to have a specific frame for this episode. And now by confusing you with cognitive dissonance, I've put you into a light hypnotic trance. And now you'll date me. I think that's how it's supposed to work. That's what they say. <laughs> now you'll fall in love with me. Yeah. Now you'll yeah. review our podcast and give. Yes, exactly. Advice. Exactly. They didn't. Yeah. It's so it's that type of shit, right? Yep. Some of it seems useful. 
some of it seems frighteningly self-evident. And some of it, like claiming to cure fucking HIV by thinking like a winner, uh, is dangerous nonsense indeed. Mm. Which makes NLP, again, another system of magic. Yeah. And now, this when I when I picked this topic, this isn't the episode I thought I was going to do. Uh-huh. We, you know, we here at the Nonsense Bazaar, we have uh, a couple different types of episodes. When we do a, a, a series or like a, a banger, you know, we want to do it right. So it takes a lot of research, mm-hmm. much more. It's not a week by week thing. So like, you know, you have to come up with filler episodes, essentially. Right. Things that like, you know, you can take and put together and present an entertaining, you know, odd episode that people enjoy and stuff. You know, maybe there's a little inside baseball, but, you know, that's how it works. I don't know. All the while you're reading a big ass book and shit, right? Right. I thought this was going to be a filler episode. And yet. And, and yet <laughs> there is one sentence in a the Wikipedia article about the one of the founders of NLP or one of the creators of NLP, Richard Bandler. That was an odd line. And uh, up until like a couple of days ago, I didn't think too much of it. But then I looked, I was like, what, what's that really talking about? And oh boy. I found this article from Mother Jones Magazine in 1989 that is one of the wildest fucking things I've ever read. So part of this, it's going to be kind of structured a little weirdly because I do want to explain like the the system of NLP and Mm -hmm. like what it is and techniques. And then I want to tell a story. Okay. So that's kind of what we're going to do. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I was going to like have us look at this like faux leopard print vest wearing rat faced fuck uh, who's the definition of smarmy. Yeah. And have a good laugh with him, but I don't know if we get to it. Yeah. But before we get into all that, let's see what the tarot has to say. Let's see. That's funny. Yeah. It's funny in a, in a way I wasn't expecting, but it makes sense. Uh, two of discs. Change. Two of pentacles. That's really weird. I was just thinking that card. Oh, really? That's like really weird. I didn't say it out loud, but I was imagining the Rider Waite version where it's the guy juggling infinity. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's an incredibly appropriate card. Yeah, it's like re- it's and it's very it's very obviously appropriate too. Yeah, like for the system of NLP, mm-hmm. like creating change in your material world. Yeah, right, like Jupiter in Capricorn. Uh, yeah, it would be the it would be the tarot card you would use to sell someone a course of NLP. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Well, then we'll talk about that at the end more. Um, Holy shit. So I uh, I took some samples of Richard Bandler, the creator of NLP, and I put it over a disco beat, and that's what you're going to hear right now. Oh, excellent. Yeah. <laughs> now, all the techniques that, that we deal with, and I'm going to go through, I'm going to actually, during the course of the next four days, I'm going to go back to some things. For example, the meta model. I keep discovering this is the most misunderstood tool of all of them. It is not designed to torture people by going, and what specifically? (laughs) Meta monsters. All you have to do is notice what's going on and that you use the actual tools themselves to elicit information so you can understand how a person builds generalizations and how they preserve them by distorting and deleting information. That's what the structure of magic is about. The first thing we do is we simply sequence the information that's in it. That is, we simply put it in a different order than it's in. Not the right order, just a different order. Now, when you sit down and you begin to do anything with any human being, 
especially NLP, what you are deliberately trying to do is to reorder their experience. Not to find the right order, but to put it in an order. An order from which it will make it easier for them to build new generalizations. See, whether people have strategies or whether they get installed when you elicit them isn't the question. The point is, is if you don't like the one they have, you can elicit a different one. <laughs> it's a great piece of installation. Don't ever underestimate it. Don't ever underestimate it. How a person builds generalizations and how they preserve them by distorting and deleting information. That's what the structure of magic is about. And if that's not your response to that kind of thing, if it's uh-oh, then the new motivation strategy you're going to install today is going to have to have a certain piece in it. That what makes something worth doing is that it's a challenge. Because we're going to do something about changing certain people's values. I found out there's too many people looking for the easy way to do it. It's like they have to screen their clients in order to find out which ones the techniques will work with. That way they only have to learn three techniques. Learn three simple techniques and qualify your clients. Send the rest away. You can do the same thing over again. Of course, a computer could do it too, but you know, why waste a machine when you can have a person do it? That's what I always say. <laughs> that was a sick track. Good dude, music. That Under dude's a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you. But he's a great salesman. <laughs> yeah. So NLP, or Neuro Linguistic Programming, was developed in the 1970s by primarily Richard Bandler and John Grinder. And we'll talk about these assholes later. This episode isn't called Scumbag Magic for nothing. NLP came out of the big old psychological milieu of the 20th century. The, you know, 20th century California. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah. And was primarily influenced by gestalt therapy. Gestalt, a great word, by the way. Uh, therapy is concerned not with the cocaine-fueled incestuous fan fictions that Sigma Freud wrote about his patients in their lives, but with how patients behave in the here and now. Mm-hmm. Because a, a person is nothing without their place in a web of relationships and how you relate to other people. Do you know anything yeah. about gestalt therapy, Willow? No. Okay. So it's about like, how, how would you react if I talked like X or I acted like Y? Like, I don't need to hear about your mother. We can fix this shit based on how you're acting with me right now. It's kind of right. gestalt therapy, right? Yeah. Um, gestalt therapy. really useful. Yes. It was also, it's also fucking insane. Yeah. And his, you know, a whole other thing, the creator is a piece of shit. I have a quote from him on the next page, just to illustrate how all psychologists are fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gestalt therapy was a big favor over at the Esalen Institute as well. Ah, yeah. yeah. So we're right back here, right? <laughs> yeah. Fritz Perls, the creator of Gestalt therapy, worked at Esalen throughout the 60s. And a big part of Gestalt therapy is that the therapy is ex- experimental. That is, it's not about talking through things, but through the therapist encouraging the patient to experience things. Mm-hmm. Right. Some examples might be like, Rather than talking about the client's critical parent, uh, the therapist might ask the client to imagine the parent is present or that the therapist is the is the parent and talk to that parent directly. Yeah. Right? If a client's struggling to, with how to be assertive, a gestalt therapist could either have the client say some assertive things to the therapist or members of the therapy group, give a talk about how one should never be assertive, right? You know, noticing something about the nonverbal behavior of the client or the tone of voice of the client, uh, the therapist might have that client like exaggerate that part. Yeah. Yeah. That's that type of stuff, like actually experiencing the thing they're trying to get to, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Talking to an empty chair, right? Right. Yeah, which is like the classic 
uh-huh. you know, example. I've had some good breakthroughs talking to myself in the middle of a forest. Yes, absolutely. Me too. <laughs> it's, Ab- a, fucking it's a absolutely. good therapeutic skill. Yeah. And that's why it caught on like wildfire and, and worked. And, you know, yeah, it's that talking, yelling at an empty chair shit. That's yeah. now you'll get an almost chuckle if you're like ever watching old reruns of Frasier for some fucking reason, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and I also found this anecdote about Fritz Perls, the creative gestalt therapy, that if I didn't share, I wouldn't be doing my job. Yeah. It has nothing to do with NLP. I think it has something to do with gestalt therapy. Okay. But it's about Fritz Perls beating the living fuck out of a woman. Oh, Jesus <laughs> and, and this is from his autobiography. Oh, wow. In and out the garbage pail. <laughs> <laughs> Quote, once I was called to a group to calm down a girl who attacked everyone in the group physically. The group members tried to hold her and to calm her down in vain. Again and again, she got up and fought. When I came in, she charged her head down into my belly and nearly knocked me over. Then I let her have it until I had her on the floor. Up she came again. And then a third time, I got her down again and said, gasping, I've beaten up more than one bitch in my life. Then she got up, threw her arms around me. Fritz, I love you, she said. Apparently, she finally got what all her life she was asking for. And there are thousands of women like her in the States, provoking, provoking and tantalizing, bitching, irritating their husbands and never getting their spanking. You don't have to be a Parisian prostitute to need to need that so as to as to respect your man. I'm just laughing because of how fucking oh on the nose it is. God. Yeah. A, a Polish saying is my husband lost interest in me. He never beats me anymore. So, you know, psychologists are by and large kind of fucked up is what I'm getting at with that. My <laughs> Isn't that something? Isn't that something? I don't wow. even know where to start with that, so there's I'm not going to start There's nowhere to start. It's like the anything. worst quote I've ever heard in my fucking life. It's, it's complex, the, it's, that's for sure. <laughs> you put that in your autobiography, sir? Didn't age well. She just needed a good beating. Uh, it, like, dude, it's just, that's that's the most misogynistic two paragraphs I've ever read in my life, I think. Like, I don't subject, bad. I don't subject myself to that sort of stuff off, like on purpose. Yeah. Sometimes it creeps in, but that's pretty bad. Good Lord. Huh. Uh, yeah. That's just like, I, I was just really surprised to see that coming from someone who's held in high esteem by- Yeah, who's I, held you know in high I, regard, you know what knows. It, yes. uh, <laughs> so, gestalt therapy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also key to the backdrop of NLP was the work of therapist and hypnotist Milton Erickson. Do you know anything about Milton Erickson? I don't. He's someone we're going to have to cover in the future. Cool. So he- yeah, we'll definitely talk about him when we cover hypnosis in full um, mm-hmm. in the future. He's fascinating. He was a key figure in the development of hypnosis in the 20th century, Milan Erickson was. He was the first to describe the hand levitation technique for hypnotic induction. Yeah. As well as uh, developing the theories on how the unconscious mind works. He also pioneered the use of confusion in hypnotic inductions. Yeah. He's that guy. Yes. Yes, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's... The second of three big parts of NLP. I didn't. I didn't mean to get so excited. No, no, but it's a. It's a. It's an awesome thing. It's one of my favorite induction techniques. Yeah, yeah. It's very clever. Yeah, I mean, he had all. He developed all that. Yeah. So, like the handshake method, where you just start touching them in weird mm-hmm. places and like just right. bouncing their attention all over the place. That's all. Confusion him. is an amazing way to disarm yeah. someone and get them into that like state of openness yeah suggestibility yeah you can just like it gets them on a track because they're like wait huh and in that moment you can guide them because they don't know what's going on yeah a story milton erickson uses to illustrate his whole uh method is like this fable or like parable about a i forget if he says it was him did it but like finding a lost horse Mm -hmm. uh i think it was him 
And he said when he was a boy, this happened. He, like he sees this lost horse that has like tack on and stuff. And to get it back to the owner, what he does is he just gets on the horse and like, you know, walks it out to the main road, but then lets the horse decide where to go. Yeah. And when you get and the horse just goes home. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just sense. about getting him on a track and then right. letting him do the thing. And then the farmer's like, how'd you find my house? How'd you know? He's just I didn't. The horse did. Yeah. You know? Getting him a little bit back to his routine spot. Yeah. Yeah. He's going to go to the familiar place if you just yep. point him. Yeah. So, yeah, well, Milton Erickson's a lot cooler than Fritz Pearls. Seems like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm sure it's the, the bar is pretty low. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. The third piece of the NLP puzzle is a woman named Virginia Satir, or Satir, S-A-T-I-R. She's a really impressive figure. Interesting last name. Yeah. So she's dubbed the mother of family psychology. She created the Virginia Satir change process model, a psychological model of change that she developed. Okay. Her sessions. She, uh, she was a school teacher before she became a clinical psychologist. And while she was a teacher, she worked with her students' families to improve not just her students' performance at school, but their family dynamics as well. She saw, you know, the family as a microcosm for everything else. And like, right. Yeah. Yeah. And she just did a lot of really interesting, like almost, I almost want to say like anti-Freudian work like repairing families and shit uh-huh. and like yeah so while those psychologists did lay the framework or like the the basis for the framework that NLP comes out of it was actually through the modeling of those people yeah and why they were fucking winners that NLP really gets its start mm-hmm. right i have a clip of old richard vandler explaining this don't mix them up with your MLP clips right right Wait, what's MLP? My Little Pony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just know Applejack is your favorite. I, yeah, sure. I don't know who that one is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you can pretend. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know. know nothing about our ponies. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, I do. All right, so here's... Yeah, yeah. clearly you do. <laughs> <laughs> Enough to know their names. <sighs> anyway, here's Richard Bandler talking about the history of NLP. I like Pinkie Pie. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Linguistic programming uh, is now 52 years old. And originally what we did was we were, John Grinder was a a syntactician, a linguist, linguist, a modeler. And I was a mathematician. And and we took the skills uh, that were mathematical that were developed by a guy named Noam Chomsky who had mapped how language actually works neurologically, not psychologically, and uh, that it was about how people really spoke and understood. And there's a neurological foundation. It's universal. It's the same in every language. And uh, they they map how language is, is similar in structure at the unconscious or, or neurological level and uh, mapped out so that you could predict what whether people without any knowledge of grammar except as well-formed English or well-formed German or well-formed French or Indonesian or any language, what we understand our language to be and how those are different. And those maps were actually a map of neurology more than a map of language. We then started modeling psychotherapists and looking at all the schools, there were like 130 schools in psychotherapy and different schools in psychoanalysis, all saying they had the right approach and none of them getting any results systematically. 
But sometimes some therapists were better and statistically helped more people more of the time. So we modeled what they did when it worked and extracted it out of the theories because the theories were like kind of like what you described. They were anthropomorphic. They were most of them based on Freud, whether they agreed with Freud or not. They all accepted the idea that somehow or other growing up, you got broken and you had to go down and peel away the layers of your personality, find your real self, fix your wounded whatever. And uh, and and it, it didn't understand how we learn neurologically. So ultimately, we flipped it over and began modeling just excellence. We found people who got over phobias and found out what they did. People who got over fears found out what they did and then built a universal map that matched how we learn neurologically. So apart from some quite blatant lies in there. It took me a while to get used to his voice. Yeah. He's old. That's that's an old man. Yeah. Yeah. We heard we heard him when he was a strapping young buck. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call him strapping or a buck at that point. But yeah, no, he's he's old as fuck, right? Yeah. yeah that clip. Decades and decades of cocaine and gin. Yeah. <laughs> It'll do something to your yeah. throat. So, but yeah, but you get with the the general Jesse modeling yeah. excellence, like the therapists that actually did shit, like what were their techniques? And we can just use the techniques, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I agree with that, like assessment of Freud too, and like the Freudian shit, like, you know, the assumption that life breaks you and that you got to dig deep to find the, like, you know, it's uh, like, <clears throat> yes, I don't know. It's, it's tough. That, that's, yeah. that's tough because there is like, I, because I, I also think there's something to like Crowley's concept of the true will. Mm-hmm. And shit too and that like you know you do have layers of bullshit stacked up that you gotta get to but i also don't think like everyone's in as inherently fucked up as sigmund freud was right do you know what i mean <laughs> like yeah so therapists are in a very sacred role yeah you know? because yeah. they can really alter their patient's way of thinking yes and even potentially implant ideas in their mind if they're not definitely careful. i mean that's kind of the point of therapy is to implant good ideas in people's minds yeah 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 you know, help them change their behavior so that they can resolve the the problems that led them to therapy in the first place yeah but you also don't want to lead people to any conclusions that perhaps aren't true or are unhelpful or are uh based on something within the therapist rather than what the patient needs right 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 and that's so like yeah and nlp is just extracting the ways of doing that Mm-hmm. Right. Like of implanting things in people's heads of communication of how that shit works without any of the fucking smart fuck philosophy or morality or ethic. Just what what works? What's the techniques that work? Yeah. Uh, very machinic. Very. Uh, yeah. And yet computer sciencey. It's it's true. To Communication is like a delicate dance. Yeah. And it's like keeping a ball in the air. Like. Like I said, NLP is much more a system of magic than it is psychology or, or mm-hmm. anything in that, like, it's going to work for some people. Right. It's not going to work for others. Yeah. Like, if it doesn't vibe with you, like, it's not going to fucking work. Because right. a lot of the shit that Richard Bandler said in that clip is complete bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's fucking nonsense. It's bad. <laughs> like, it's just it's just not true. Yeah. Um. This guy, Richard Bandler, he was the psychologist half of NLP in that he was in the process of obtaining a psychology degree. Like he wasn't a mathematician. Don't know where that came from. And he was he was working on modeling what made Virginia Satir so influential when there's tons of other people who try and do good and fail. Like that's it. Like, And then, and then he met this teacher, John Grinder, 
he was the linguist side of the NLP team. And according to proponents, NLP is equally influenced by linguists like Alfred Gordzipski, who's known for his theories on general semantics, which is a term you will encounter if you ever watch any talks from Robert Anton Wilson, which I do recommend, as well as Noam Chomsky's theory of transformational grammar. Uh, we're not going to get into that because honestly, it's not Yeah, relevant. we don't need to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very interesting shit. Yeah. But like, as many critics of NLP point out, it has n nothing to do with linguistics and name dropping these guys is just <laughs> kind of a way to look smart. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, um, a good way of doing it. Yeah. According to the linguist Karen Stalsnow, quote, other than borrowing terminology, NLP does not bear authentic resemblance to any of Chomsky's theories or philosophies, linguistic, cognitive, or political. Also listed in their influences is old Carlos Castaneda, the fake <laughs> shaman and possible CIA sorcerer we will eventually cover. Well, his methods work too to convince people. To a point. Yeah. You know? It's the same convinced shit. a lot of people. Yeah. The real core of NLP is this modeling process, a method of faking it until you make it. In, in many ways. According to Grinder and Bandler, NLP is a way of codifying the therapeutic techniques of people like Pearls, Erickson, and Sadir. This is what their first book is about, The Structure of Magic, Volume 1, published in 1975. Interesting title for a, for a book. Yeah. You know? By modeling Virginia Sadir, they developed what they called the meta model, a model of gathering information and challenging a client's language and underlying thinking. They claim that by challenging linguistic distortions, specifying generalizations, and recovering deleted information in the client's statements, the transformational grammar concepts of surface structure yield a more complete representation of the underlying deep structure and therefore have therapeutic benefit. I get the gist of it. Yeah, okay, though. good. By changing what you're thinking and realizing why you're thinking what you're thinking and then deleting and replacing that thought with something else. Exactly. You have more success. Exactly, yeah. Also derived from Virginia Sadier were anchoring, future pacing, and representational systems. She also mm -hmm. developed all those things too. In contrast, an another NLP model, the Milton model, a model of the purportedly hypnotic language of Milton Erickson. They didn't call it the Erickson model. They called it the Milton model. <laughs> Milton's a funnier name, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. Maybe Erickson was taken. Yeah, yeah right? I like, know. I don't understand that. Uh, so the Milton model was described by Bandler and Grinder as artfully vague and metaphoric. Lovely. Yeah. The, meta, the Milton model is used in combination with the meta model <laughs> as a... <laughs> Milton model meta model. Milton model meta model. As a soft... It's a softener to induce trance and to deliver indirect therapeutic suggestion. Mm -hmm. In 1997, uh, Richard Bandler claimed, quote, NLP is based on finding out what works and formalizing it. In order to formalize patterns, I utilized everything from linguistics to holography. The models that constitute NLP are all formal models based on mathematical, logical principles such as predicate calculus, the mathematical equations underlying holography. Yeah. Um, however, that was, he said that in 1997. There is zero mention of the mathematics of holography, uh, nor of holography, holography in general in the original accounts of holography? holograms. Oh, okay. Where the piece contains okay, yeah. the whole. Yeah. yeah. There's absolutely no mention of holography at all in the earlier NLP works. It's just something he added on later that said he was influenced by. Yeah. And that he studied. Maybe you just didn't look at it from the right angle so you couldn't see it. Yeah. No, he just made shit up eventually. Yeah. He just started saying things. You can do that. Especially when you do a lot of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so though it started... You know, in universities, it, what NLP turned into is basically this system of mind control magic. And to get a sense of what it is, of what it is now, we're going to use the definitions in some stupid fucking blog for startups that I found that has a big old section on NLP. Excellent. 
This is some, like a weird ass, definitely put together by a fucking computer. Is it like Blogspot or no? WordPress? It's Ionos.com. Like it's a oh, it's like, it's it's got its own .com. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like deep business world shit. I don't even know. It's some a world I'll never be in. <laughs> These people have been in an office. <laughs> world I don't want to be in. Don't Can be you in imagine me in an office? I don't ever get out of my pajamas. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to. Yeah, no, I, I hate it. <laughs> what is NLP exactly from Ionos, the startup guide? It has like three sections. Get started, grow your business, and productivity. And then productivity is just all about NLP. So the term neurolinguistic, I feel like I, I feel like I should do a like a Phil Hartman voice yeah. when I'm talking about this shit. Like the term neurolinguistic programming is now heard more and more in other areas. Like it's the smarmiest fucking. But what is NLP? primary goal of NLP is to feel good more often and feel bad less often. It combines approaches from psychology, hypnosis, and linguistics to influence our thinking and actions through language and communication, always under the assumption that processes in the brain, neuro, can be modified using language, linguistic, based on systematic instructions, programming. Neurolinguistic programming is based on five communication channels. VACOG for short. <laughs> Visual, sense of sight. Auditory, sense of hearing. Kinesthetic, sense of touch. Olfactory, sense of smell. Gustatory, sense of taste. VACOG. VACOG. Yeah. The VACOG model is a typical representation system of NLP. The system describes how we perceive the world through the influence of the five sensory channels. Uh, and then it goes on to list the different formats, the meta programs, the meta models, um, the anchoring technique, which is interesting. Um, it's a big one. And I'm sure you've heard of anchoring. Uh, I know like a, a lot of um, like more occult ass magical systems now do take influence from NLP. Mm-hmm. Like that, it is an influence on that now too. I should have mentioned yeah. that earlier. So the anchoring technique is like associating an action with an emotion. Yep. And like, however, you know, you use all the different other models and stuff to do that so that, you know. Yeah. Recently, when I have been feeling uh, restless and aimless and purposeless and like I need to do something to get a sense of accomplishment, but I'm lacking motivation. Yeah. I'll open up my journal and I'll just write down like a sentence about how I'm feeling. And then I'll come up with two very small tasks to do and write Okay, I'm feeling aimless and lacking motivation. I want a sense of accomplishment. I'm going to go shower and put clean pajamas on <laughs> and then make that into a tiny checklist. Yeah, yeah. And then cross them off. And then that like somehow makes me feel grounded and more accomplished and it gives me that push to do more. Hell yeah. So like yeah, yeah. just writing it down and getting it out. Yeah, I mean has been a thing that has helped me this week. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. My methods always change. But. Yeah. Well, anchoring's a bit more magical. Yeah. That's like using, a, a, starting to associate, say like a hand mudra, which like a specific hand position. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yoga. Like this is more magic than NLP, but like, you know, in meditation, like, you know, f- feeling, an, feeling mm-hmm. an emotion and then doing a mudra or doing a thing right. just over and over until that emotion is associated with that action. So then you can use that action to feel that emotion. Right. Like the- but do you ever plant your feet to the ground and imagine that you have roots coming out down mm. to the ground? Yeah, so yeah. Feel more grounded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm more like visualization. Yeah. So I think the anchoring is is literally like you know maybe you associate like adjusting a sleeve in a certain way with confidence. Like you learn mm-hmm. to 
just associate that. So when you need to go talk to your boss, you adjust your sleeve in that way and it boosts your confidence. Yeah. That's that. I mean, that's actually kind of classic NLP. You know, that's the, the language is the symbol that, you know. Right. Another big, the other big NLP thing is the swish technique. Okay. Have you ever heard of this? No. Okay. So, uh, and this is from that stupid website again. Swish technique. In order to change unwanted habits, the swish technique builds strong, positive motivations. Assuming that inner images are linked to emotions, a negative inner image is repeatedly overlaid and covered with a positive inner image. Oh. And this is more like you you visualize, you know, the classic example in the NLP books is like a cigarette coming to your mouth. Mm-hmm. And then you shrink that image and change it to an image of you happy and healthy and having quit smoking and you blow that image up in full color. Yeah. And like you imagine trumpet sounds and shit and you right. do that over and over again and trying to ch- change where your mind wants to go, your subconscious wants to go. Mm-hmm. That's like the tech technique that NLP is known for. If like one person knew one NLP technique, it would be the swish thing. Yeah. I think they initially said to like hear, hear or say the word swish <laughs> and then they got rid of it because it's fucking stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Swish. And I've, like I've done some of that too. Like, and like for me, that technique uh, worked. Um, oh yeah. 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 You got to, you know, stick with it and like. Yeah. Being self-aware is really like takes a lot of energy throughout the day. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've definitely been on that, like observing my own thoughts track and like becoming the observer of my thoughts and like switching them around. Yeah. And like literally visualizing like this, the thought that I was thinking sort of like poofing out into the air and being replaced by like, no, you're awesome. You can do anything. Yeah. Got this. Yeah. You know? And you know. But it's a, whoa. Yeah. It takes a lot of practice for it to become normal. The light in my bathroom has been out for about three weeks. I still keep flicking the light switch every time I go in there. And I've known that that light has been, it takes a long time for your muscle memory. It's true. To, to stop doing something that it's used to. And that translates to your mental definitely. facilities as well. Oh, definitely. It's like, even though you love yourself and you want to believe that you love yourself, if, if you're used to flicking that self-hate light switch, yeah. it's going to be an automatic response and you have to just, uh. yeah, 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 yeah. So this is oh, useful yeah. for that. So yeah, it absolutely. And that's what this is. Bandler and Grender were trying to, and you know, as much as I've already teased that Richard Bandler is a huge fucking villain. Um, that's what they were. They're trying to make a super efficient way of doing that. What are the things by looking at all these people who have managed to change, change yeah. other people, change themselves. What are the techniques that work for all of them? You know, where is, where does it all meet in the middle? How do we streamline this? Mm-hmm. Uh, come, you know, and derive the language by which we can communicate to our own brains more effectively and then communicate to other people's brains. You know, what's okay. funny. So much of it is fake it till you make it. It is absolutely the magic of faking it. Till <laughs> like you make it's, it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That is. Yeah. Oh yeah. This, uh, this is the last part of that. The goal is to make it impossible for the client with the swish technique impossible for the client when thinking about the negative inner image to avoid thinking directly about the second positive image. Right. So the, the goal would then be to every time you smoke a cigarette, you see the awesome image of you having quit smoking cigarettes. And yeah. It makes you more likely to want to do that. Right. Then there's reframing, you know, which is pretty self-explanatory. Autonomous eye movement, uh, which is kind of some bullshit about you looking different directions, whether you're making something up or you're remembering something, you know. Yeah. Up or if it's visual, down if it's auditory. Like that's that shit's true sometimes, but like 
not not all always, the time. And you, it's not fail proof. Yeah, sure. like don't just go thinking people are lying because how everybody moving. everybody That's has a different dumb. physical baseline too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not everybody's mannerisms are alike. Yeah, like that's one of those dangerous ass things. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and then the other big thing is pacing. Uh, and that refers to reflecting both the verbal communications as well as the nonverbal communications of the other, of the person you're talking to. Yeah. Yeah. How to win friends and influence people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's from some dumb startup blog. And that's what NLP is. That's what this system is, essentially. Pretty clear. Pretty, yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> Is it like if one of your friends is talking like really, really loudly and you just start talking in response in like a calm, low voice to sort of influence them to lower their volume? It can absolutely be that. Like, <laughs> yeah, those kinds of things. It's also like, uh, you know, this is actually where I'll throw in the um, the faux leopard print wearing dude. Let's see. Uh, let's try this first one. This fucking guy, David Snyder. I love his pretzels. He, he is Dude, go look up some of his videos. Like, he is so, he is the definition of smarmy. In the dictionary, that's, it's this motherfucker. Word. Dude, it's. What, what is the dictionary definition of smarmy, I wonder? This guy, this guy is so nakedly a rat fuck that I love him for it. Right? <laughs> smarmy, adjective, ingratiating and wheedling in a way that is perceived as <laughs> insincere or excessive. Yes, yes, yes. Wheedling. Wheedling. Now, now I gotta look up wheedling. To employ endearments or flattery to persuade someone to do something or give one something. Yeah. Ah. This dude is so obviously and admittedly smarmy that I love him for it. Yeah. He's such a piece of shit. He real just wheedler. Yeah. He's a real wheedler, man. <laughs> <laughs> now, the director says, okay, let's say James is, is me. James, in this scene, you are the prize that every woman wants. Okay? You're constantly being approached by, by women who just want you and blah, blah, blah. And over here, it's Karen. Maybe she's the other actor. And I'm just using these as an example. Karen, you see this guy, and he's one of the hottest, most sexiest, most attractive guys you're in, and you just want him to notice you. And you just would get such a rush if he would just notice you and pay attention to you and, and ask you out. Action. All of a sudden, a program is initiated. Okay. Now the program, both ends of the program are hardwired, either socially or biologically or both, into each of them. Whoever initiates first, using whatever aspect of that program they're both operating under, causes the other person to, by default, take on the behaviors of the second part of the program. So, you see this more commonly in a dating scenario, but it can be just as applicable in a business social setting. Okay? James is the rock star, so to speak. He walks in, everybody flocks around him. What happens? He's the prize. He's actively flipping the switch in people's neurology that says, seek him out. And so they go into seeking out behaviors. However, the director could just as easily say, Karen, in this scene, you are the starlet that every woman wants. You're getting approached left and right. You are the most desirable woman in the world. And you just have to sort through the crap. You just got to make sure that only the best guy gets to you. James, you see the most desirable woman who meets everything you've ever wanted, everything you've ever fantasized about. Action. And the play starts again. 
This program is the same. It's two sides of the same program. Whoever initiates and has the strongest grasp and belief in who they are and what they are doing wins. Most people are moving through the world with a very, very flimsy sense of reality. If your sense of identity and reality is strong enough and you are congruent enough in what you believe and the way you come across, people will buy into your reality by default. Period. They can't not do it. They have to do one of two things. Well, three things, actually. One, they either have to buy into it, they have to get you to buy into theirs, which is usually try and fail, or they have to leave. Very interesting. Very interesting. Right? This fucking guy, dude, calls himself Dr. David Snyder. Very interesting. He's a doctor of traditional Chinese medicine. Love it. <laughs> Every fucking, he charges like fucking 10 grand for these classes in this fucking beige wow. ass conference room. He has hundreds of fucking hours of videos online on YouTube. They're mm. all, he never, he, for all the 10 grand tickets he sold, he never bought a fucking lapel mic. Just using some camera at the back. Yeah. Of the room. It's oh, I can that. I can hear I can hear the oh, yeah. background sounds. Yeah, it sounds dude. like it's dogs coughing or yeah, something. Yeah. No, that's just old ladies. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this fucking guy. He always draws this weird symbol that looks like a sigil made out of the alchemical glyph for mercury and like letter yod from the Hebrew alphabet. Like a couple. Fascinating. It's weird, and he just puts it at the corner and very very small. All of his lectures. Yeah. Always there. Never says what it is. People ask about it in the comments. No response. It's always very, like, almost like you're not supposed to notice. Quite strange. I think this dude is actually a magician. I'm going to come back to him one day. I forgot everything that he just talked about in the video. Fuck. Reality domination. Okay. That's what pacing is. So by having the most, the strongest, most congruent sense of reality. Yeah. You can, people oh, will buy oh, into oh, oh, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. reality. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was making me think of when I, like, believed that I was a, a starseed. Mm. And literally nobody challenged me on that shit. Like, yeah. not, not one person was like, I don't think that's true. I think you need help. People were just like, yeah, that, that might be true. Fuck. You seem like an alien. Like, it, it really just, just slid. Jesus. And I was fine. Like, I did come out of it and I was fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a podcast. But um, <laughs> I, I was noting that the other day. I'm like, really? Like, because I was telling people and like the the response really was like, yeah, you could be an alien. And I, like that. Yeah. You know, I'm like, wow. OK. I mean, look at uh, fucking Donald Trump. Right. Right. Like that is <laughs> such a perfect example of this this bullshit. Yeah. Pacing just of creating the pace of the conversation of the. Uh -huh. Yeah. And so it is like what you're saying. If someone's talking really loud and, and shit and you just quiet down. Right. Yeah. And you just do it with confidence. They'll settle into what you're doing. Right. right. They'll start to mirror you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, it was phrased weird in that website. It's more about getting people to mirror you to, or not more about, but it's just as much about getting people to mirror you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the 1970s, the human potential movement, you know, was all the rage, right? That's where this comes out of. Centered, of course, at the Esalen Institute and and eagle-eared listeners, or should be like jackrabbit-eared, jackass-eared listeners, yeah. will see that we are like one degree of separation from Ingo Swan and throwing phones down the hallway at SRI because he needs his quiet psychic time. We're probably less than one degree of separation from Buhark, but that just seems to unfortunately always be true. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, so Bandler and Grinder do this research on NLP as a therapeutic method. Uh, they also start claiming that it was a it was also a business tool claiming that, quote, if any human, if any human being can do it, so can you. <laughs> and uh, 
After 150 students paid $1,000 each for a 10-day workshop in Santa Cruz, uh, Bandler and Grinder gave up academic writing and just started writing popular books from seminar transcripts and just such as like Frogs into Princes and The Structure of Magic. Yeah. And uh, they, um, according to court documents relating to an intellectual property dispute between the two of them, Bandler made more than $800,000 in 1980 from workshop and book sales alone. Just in that one year? Just in 1980. Wow. Yeah. Just from the workshop and book sales. Yes. Not to mention, that's not counting his consulting work or anything. Yeah. Of which he was paid an extraordinary. Well then, that's a pretty penny. Yeah. So why was it so popular? Well, for all the talk about being better and being happier and more productive, NLP overturns the long-held therapeutic notion that the patient needs to want to change. Fuck that. We can change them into a winner, whether they want to or not. And that's a promise, a central, if understated promise of NLP. And this is why the pickup artist world relies on NLP. Yeah. It is the linguistic magic of manipulation. So Yes, we can get you to do something that you don't want to do. Yes. Or you can get someone yes. to do what they don't want to do. Yeah. Maybe being a winner means that they'll fuck you. Yeah. That's what BSL is. You don't change them into a winner whether they want to be or not. All right. So who the fuck are these guys, Bandler and Grinder? Well, John Grinder is far less entertaining, so we'll start with him. Uh, he's a linguist, John Grinder, who, apart from developing NLP, was also uh, a former member of an unnamed U.S. intelligence agency. Okay. Yep. So that's that's the big one. That's a that's a really important part about John Grinder. Of the of the two, Grinder was known for being aloof and enigmatic, while Richard Bandler was the charismatic, confrontational, and sometimes downright terrifying side of it. Oh. Oh yeah. So good cop, bad cop. Uh. Kind of. No, more okay. like uh, Penn and Teller. Okay. You know, <laughs> Bandler did all the talking, really. Yeah. He did the presentation. Yeah. See, Richard Bandler. Oh, boy. This dude's a fucking psychopath. Dick Bandler. Dick Bandler, dude. Even before NLP was, you know, named NLP, Bandler was teaching these methods in one of Grinder's classes while Bandler was still a student. And the, the students of this class uh, referred to it as mind fucking 101. <laughs> He's doing yeah. all the pickup arts NLP. He's the guy who's... St- there's no pickup artist without Richard yeah. Bandler. But that's not why I'm telling the story. Yeah. Born in New Jersey in 1950. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to say right here, like some of these passages are just going to be straight at, uh, right from this Mother Jones article. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I don't I don't write true crimes. So I'll just let the experts do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so born in New Jersey in 1950. Crime. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. See, Richard Bandler was um, charged and tried for murder one. Oh. Yeah. Of who? We'll get to that. Okay. All right. Yes. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. He was acquitted, but we'll get to that too. <laughs> this dude probably killed someone. <laughs> oh, I don't, he was, it, dude, it's, a, it's so fucked up. It's like, it's so fucked up. So Richard Bandler was born in New Jersey in 1950, but he spent his high school years in Sunnyvale, California, in what is now known as Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. Plagued by a language disorder, Bandler was an indifferent student, a withdrawn teenager who dreamed of playing drums like Buddy Rich. Uh, he practiced a bunch. Drums are hard. He wasn't that great at it. Yeah. He was never, yeah, this wasn't, according to one of his friends, he was ill at ease in the world and never quite fit in. And he seldom, if ever, spoke about his childhood. Hmm. At 16, he was hired to teach drums to the son of Robert Spitzer, a generous, soft-spoken psychiatrist who quickly became a father figure. 
Spitzer took a shine to Richard Bandler, noticed his intelligence, and loaned him psychology books, which Bandler devoured. Spitzer also introduced him to pioneer family therapist Virginia Sadier, whose message of self-love and acceptance struck a chord in young Richard Bandler. Mm -hmm. Robert Spitzer would go on to be key in the development of the uh, DSM. Or not oh. go on, he was key in the development of DSM from like DSM-3 onwards. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a very well-known psychiatrist, psychologist, whichever one. Yeah. Shrink. <laughs> Good at putting things into categories. Yeah. Well, he was actually, he he did make the DSM better than it was before. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. No, neither. It's not, <laughs> it's not but it was worse. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Sado recalled in March 1988, shortly before her death, quote, about Bandler, not Spitzer. Quote, he looked undernourished. He got my sympathies because he was so bright, and at the same time, I felt that he felt so little about himself. Mm. Poor bastard. After graduating from high school in 1968, Bandler enrolled at a nearby junior college where he studied philosophy. And like many who overcome learning disabilities, Bandler developed tremendous powers of concentration. Yeah. Dude just had ADHD. Yeah. You know? One former professor remembered that he had, quote, a mind like a searchlight. So real fucking smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. And for much of this time, Bandler lived in the hills above Santa Cruz in a tiny trailer he shared with a girlfriend. And he, like, discussed philosophy obsessively just all well, the time. ADHD, people with ADHD yeah. have the superpower yep. of hyperfocus. Yep. Which can also be super debilitating. Hyperfocusing on introspection. Hey, <laughs> but it can also. He became a multimillionaire and got away with murder. An excellent asset. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that hyperfixation yeah. will help you create a podcast. Yes, it's true. <laughs> But Bandler also experimented with marijuana and LSD. Oh. I think he probably took a lot of acid. Yeah. Yeah. He kept his, his few, the few friends that he had, he kept at a distance. And one of them remembered, uh, quote, there was clearly a level which nobody was getting at. Nobody was reaching. He was not comfortable in the world at all. Mm. It's an interesting portrait of just like a smart fuck who's teaching drums to like a well-known psychiatrist who's like giving him all these books and he's got a girlfriend. He's got his own fucking little trailer, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Right? He's doing great. He's having, he's doing great. He should feel a little more better about himself. Right. You know, he worked for Spitzer's publishing company. And while there, he tried to assimilate the knowledge of the great therapist, studying them as he had studied Buddy Rich by imitation. Right. Right. And with uncanny accuracy, he mimicked. The, he learned how to mimic the voice and mannerisms first of Virginia Sadier and then Fritz Perls and, you know, the misogynist founder of Gestalt. And in 1970, Bandler began studying psychology at the University of California, not mathematics. Just not. <laughs> yeah. Like, why? Why? Why are you saying that? I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's real probably weird. Probably what crowd was he addressing? That was just a podcast, one of his students, like someone who fascinating yeah yeah or not like one of his students but like someone who had turned their life around with nlp and got to interview the great dr yeah. richard bandler who's not a fucking doctor <laughs> <laughs> in anything he's not a medical doctor yeah. doesn't have a phd <laughs> yeah you can just say that apparent yeah uh yeah so in 1970 he began studying psychology at the university of california santa cruz uh, which was then a new and popular experimental campus nestled in the redwoods and despite his interest in psychology, Richard Bandler wasn't concerned with self-discovery or sharing his feelings. He would rather, rather he used his knowledge of Seder and Pearls to lead gestalt groups and counsel fellow students. Yeah. Oh, irresponsible. Young Richard. Yeah. Bandler being a student himself. It was at UC, US, UCSC that Bandler met John Grinder, a radical young professor of linguistics. In the laid-back university community, Grinder cultivated an iconoclastic mystique. 
boasting that he had been a Green Beret. He also did work for an unnamed intelligence agency, so that might be true. Okay. Like, yeah. And he Grinder collected a small devoted group of followers, most prominent of whom was Richard Bandler. And together they began using linguistics to study psychology. And I can see where they're going with that. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. And I don't, like, I I think it made clear, I don't think there's nothing to NLP. Yeah. Like, I I really, I don't think it's a pseudoscience, like they say, because I, mm-hmm. I, it's not a science. And they yeah. explicitly it's say- It's a method of communication. It's magic. Yeah. It's a school of magic. And I think that is literally why they called it the structure of magic. Mm-hmm. You know, they, I mean, dude was eating acid in the fucking redwoods. Like, he was exposed to all that stuff. You know yeah. what I mean? Especially because he was also- they were also both involved with the CIA. We'll get to that. In 1973, Bandler and then Grinder moved to a California commune up in the mountains, which was owned by Bandler's old mentor, psychiatrist Robert Spitzer. Uh, you know, they moved up there to really put their nose to the mirror in the development of NLP. Mm-hmm. The case is clear also, Richard Bandler fucking loves cocaine. Yeah. He loves- I was going to say, there's some, there's some drugs being had. This dude loves cocaine so much. Among the other- Anyone who's ever done cocaine, but like there's a difference between someone who like will do some cocaine and, then and someone, someone who fucking loves yeah. cocaine. <laughs> like Gary Busey. Yeah. Richard Bandler might be the king of cocaine. Yeah. Uh, now, at this commune, the other residents there were also like Raven Lang, who spo- spurned the home birth movement. Gregory Bateson, the British anthropologist who conceived the double bind theory of schizophrenia. Okay. So like other influential people in like these cultural forces that come mm-hmm. out of California in the 70s, right? Yeah. A lot of the human potential movement stuff. A lot of people, they're lecturing at Esalen or going to talks at Esalen. All that, that vibe, that's that fucking vibe. It's not the hippie shit, but it's that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Bansler did not get along well with the other members of the commune. Because <laughs> he was just always like bragging about how much cocaine he did. Yeah. <laughs> He's that fucking that guy. <laughs> the other members asked Spitzer to evict him, but he refused. After their first book was published in 1975, The Structure of Magic, Volume 1, Bandler and Krinder took the fucking show on the road. Although neither of them were licensed therapists, they acted as such with the occasional disclaimer to get them out of legal trouble. In fact, they were openly and vehemently critical of therapy. They stated that therapists are rewarded for their failure. The longer a patient stays unwell, the more money they make. Yeah. Much of the success of NLP can probably be placed on how good these two were as showmen. They were irreverent, funny, challenging, and confusing, often beginning their presentations with, everything you're going to hear today is a lie. All generalizations are lies. Yeah. Which is magician shit. Mm-hmm. You know? That's not therapist shit. That's not psychiatrist shit. That's magician shit. Right. It's the same shit Aleister Crowley's. I mean, fucking Aleister Crowley wrote the Book of Lies. Yeah. Right? Like, that's, yeah. yeah. Bandler dazzled his audience with demonstrations of what would now be referred to as mentalism, guessing people's thoughts from their subtle muscle movements. He was a talented hypnotist, uh, quote, healer. He was quick-witted and jokey. And like they claimed, the two claimed that they could change phobias in 10 minutes and addictions in an hour. Hmm. Yeah. Grinder told one writer that he could make him play chess like Gary Kasparov, who was for a long time the best chess player in the world. Uh, There seemed to be no limits to what the magical system of NLP could do. And Bandler alternated between confrontational and warm and caring. One student recalled how when one of his students, whom he barely knew, was hit by a truck, Bandler spent hours at the student's bedside. Didn't know this dude at all, but he'd been at his class and got hit by a truck. Dude just hung out at the hospital for fucking hours with him. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And as we mentioned before, like they started marketing it as a business tool and not just this post-hippie 
therapeutic yeah. tool. I wonder if Bandler wanted to take credit if the kid like got better. I mean, it was just a great publicity move, dude. Yes. It's just like, something at, you want to be seen doing. Yeah. Look at me. I'm yeah. scaring. Yeah. Yeah. And then that dude's just going to say, oh, I, I know NLP works. Like I'll, I'll pay all the thousands of dollars to become a teacher because mm -hmm. that dude, you know, he was such a good guy to me. Right. Yeah. So it was an investment. Yep. Uh, an investment in his time. Yep. Uh, towards so, his reputation. Yep. And once they started to market NLP as a business tool, the money came flooding in. That's that 150 people, 1K each in Santa Cruz pit. Mm-hmm. And then they had the genius idea of let others do the writing for them. Yeah, why not? Just out of the <laughs> transcripts of their talks. Yeah, the, letting others do the writing. Like, that's that Ledbetter bit. Yeah. Right? Like, just make it, take the transcript of your talk, turn it into a book. Sell that shit as a book. You don't there even got to go. write a book. And that's where books like Frogs and the Princes came from. Uh, Richard Bandler incorporated his business as not limited. That's not LTD. Get it? Do you get it? No. Not, you know, limited, like limited liability corporation. Yeah. You see that LTD? Okay. It's the company is called not limited li liability corporation. Yeah. So it reads as not limited, but it's a business joke. Get I it? <laughs> kind of. It's, it's not a good joke. I it's mean, not a it's good joke. Fucking stupid. It's, it's dumb as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I bet he thought it was really clever though. He loved it so much. Yeah. You know? Critics of NLP asked questions like, aren't you just teaching manipulation techniques? Yeah. To which they responded that humans can't avoid being manipulated, but at least no. with NLP, they'll be able to see when they're being manipulated and how. It's not necessarily a bad thing either. No, I mean, they're right about that. You can't avoid being manipulated. Yeah. Like, you learn how to do it too. You can see when people are doing that shit on you. Mm -hmm. You know? When asked for scientific evidence, I will say they gave almost the right answer. Oh, yeah? They said, we're not scientists and what we do is not science. Right. Yeah. So like, you can't, we can't be held to the same standards. Basically, like, we're not claiming this is science. This is yeah. not scientifically tested. This is not peer reviewed. We are yeah. not scientists. This is not science. Yep. Then they fucked yep. up the answer by saying, besides, it works. So what's the problem? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, like, yeah, but you don't, that's the part you don't say out loud. Right. Richard Bandler would say that brains were his toys. <laughs> and he often compared humans to computers and machines and spoke of hot. installing our programming beliefs. He had a very like mechanistic view of people, a very early computer science view. Right. And Bandler married a woman named Leslie Cameron in 1978. And now that Bandler had a bunch of fucking money, he bought a house in the mountains with a tennis court, a greenhouse, a swimming pool. Ooh, fancy. Motherfucker even built a laser lab and a recording studio for NLP experiments. Wow. He owned a Mercedes, two BMWs, a Fiat Spider, and a fucking second house in Hawaii. Holy shit, he's balling. Yeah. And a couple handguns, which like, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Everyone with a bunch of fucking money has a couple couple guns. You have some, any big dogs? Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at this time, he also started using cocaine even more heavily, and he started drinking gin like it was going out of style. Like, just constant. Mm. Yeah. It's always interesting, people's drink of choice. Yeah, he's a gin guy. Mm-hmm. I mean- That's, it, a, that's a unique one, honestly. It is. Yeah. And I, I do see it. I, you know. If, it's if a classy like, one. No. Like, it depends. Depends on how much gin you drink. Right. Responsible gin use- is a classy alcohol. I can't fucking right. stand the stuff, but it is. Classy. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, gin I had, and tonic. It's my favorite. I had a bad time when I was a fucking child. Mm -hmm. 
I can't do with 17 or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really a vodka guy. Yeah. Yeah. So he's on the gin. He's on the gin. And two years after he married Leslie Cameron, she filed for divorce in 1980. That didn't last long. Nope. All the cocaine and gin. Yeah. According to court documents, Cameron stated that Bandler had choked her, Ah. laughing about it and warning her that he could kill her. He attacked and threatened Leslie's male friends, one of whom was quoted as saying, or one of whom quoted Bandler as saying, all I need to do is dial seven digits, and with my connections with the mafia, I could have you all wiped out without even batting an eye. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, Richard. All right, big guy. Yeah. And it was around this time that Bandler and Grinder's working relationship completely fell apart for completely unknown reasons. Mm -hmm. Don't really know what happened. And, you know, he's got this divorce. His partner's telling him to go fuck himself. So Bandler just fucks off to Hawaii for a little while. Go find himself, I guess. Yeah. He comes back. His NLP business is bankrupt. Oh. So what was he started doing? Mm. Cocaine and gin. Yeah. Those mafia connections uh, you mentioned, it's probably just this one dude, James Marino. Mm-hmm. I know an Italian guy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, 18 years Bandler's senior... Marino stepped in to fill the void after, you know, Grinder left his left his life. And James Marino was also Bandler's Coke dealer. Uh-huh. Yeah. Bandler used to sit at his desk with a big bag of blow on one side and a glass of gin on the other. That's just how he went through his days. He apparently would sometimes inhale cocaine through the Coke straw into his mouth. <laughs> when I guess his nostrils were too clogged or something. Like this. Okay. So he just needed to keep doing cocaine. I don't understand. All right. He also put on a fuck ton of gin weight. <laughs> oh, yeah. That even happen. Alcohol's calories, dude. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but you need like, to be drinking a lot of fucking gin. A lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. He put on like a couple hundred pounds. Like he went from being like oh, that's real a lot thin, of gin weight. Real fast too, and like you know, not to. Not to fat shame the man. No, it's not about that. No, it's about like it's about the alcoholism. Yeah, the toll that it's because he was taking rail thin. Yeah, because he'd already been a cokehead, and then just like, yeah, it looks like fucking uh, Doctor Robotnik from Sonic the Hedgehog when he's dangerous. Oh, it's an overweight cokehead. Yeah, it's very dangerous. Absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's dangerous to be a cokehead in general. It's absolutely dangerous to do that much cocaine. You've got like five years before your heart gives out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he, but he also went from having long, curly cokehead hair, yeah. along with the cokehead mustache, uh-huh. to looking like that fucking harder, better, faster, stronger image of a successful 80s man mm-hmm. at the same time as gaining all this gin, as gin weight and shit, becoming an unrecognizable version of himself. The mustache is smart. It'll catch all the little crumbs. Yeah, no, he got rid of that. Fuck that shit. Yeah. So he like at once became, like cleaned up his act like a fuck ton. Right. And also just completely started losing control. The image was became more refined. Yeah. He just went from one yeah. extreme to, to another. Yeah, exactly. And he, he started teaching classes again and doing consulting work. And although he had given up the research that made him famous in the first place, he was now commanding fees of up to $4,000 a day for his consulting work. Well, that's quite a, a high price. NLP was fucking well known. Like He is a yeah. rock star. He right? really managed to convince people that his expertise was worth a lot yeah and for some fucking reason he didn't think that he need, he could just rely on all of his all success that he had already yeah because he also at this point started making up all sorts of shit about himself mm-hmm. claiming he owned a topless bar at 18 
Yeah. Not even that he was a professional rock musician for a while, which he just never backed down from and just says he doesn't. It was so long ago. He doesn't. I was a rock star. Don't ask me what my name was. I don't remember. Literally, he was like he was a touring rock fucking professional rock musician. Wow. Okay. (laughs) L. Ron Hubbard. That's exactly that. He was a computer programmer. Yeah. He claimed that having given a talk for using NLP uh, as a method for pain control at the CIA, the CIA tested his methods by putting an ice pick through someone's hand. Yeah. Yeah, sure. He started, and I wrestled a bear. <laughs> he started calling himself Dr. Bandler, despite just not being a doctor or PhD in anything. It wasn't even a fucking David Jacobs scenario where his doctorate is in fucking, it's a PhD in American history. It's with a focus on I have a doctorate culture. of nonsense. Yeah, you are. Yeah. So I have a certificate. I have a certificate too. Yeah. Are we doctorates? Does it say doctorate? Fuck yeah. Is it a doctorate? I don't know. No, it's a certificate of achieving great knowledge. Oh. Which is what you get when you become a doctor of nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I say I am, so I am. There you go. Fake it till you make it. Yep. So he also, yeah, not a doctor. Didn't, he'd be dropped out of fucking college to take the show on the road. Yeah. Not a doctor. Richard Bandler changed his story based on who he was talking to, too. Also. With a writer, he claimed that he retreated to Hawaii to write books. With a scientist, said that he hated books, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mirroring, key principle of NLP. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's like when we went into that metaphysics shop. Right. And I had to put on the little act. Yeah, you to, went to, to deep talk. cover, yeah. I yeah. did. <laughs> I, did. I, I, I don't know what happened. It's like this other person overtook me. Yeah. I had to leave because I couldn't sustain the ruse. Yeah. To let you do your magic. <laughs> yeah, some of it was really funny. It was, it was hard yeah. to maintain my cover, but I did. <laughs> a college friend of Richard Bandler said, I don't know where the man I knew still lives inside Richard Bandler. The past 20 years, he's been making himself more and more invisible. Huh. Richard Bandler once said, quote, it is only your personal history by which others can use magic to control you. Mm. So he didn't want people to really know him. No, did not. He wanted them to know that he beats up women, though. A different guy. Oh. As Fritz Perl. <laughs> well, he choked his- Oh, yeah, no, he did choke his- <laughs> yeah. yeah. All psychiatrists, every psychologist is just yeah. beating up women. That's not true. All generalizations are lies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I, I really, I'm mistrustful of people who want to know what's going on in my head now. Yeah. <laughs> so on a Saturday morning in February, 1984, Bandler was teaching a class and he wanted to illustrate one of his favorite theories that anyone can change with the right stimulus. And he had a psychiatrist in the audience who was challenging him on this point. It's like, no, like that's not, someone has to want to change, right? The psychiatrist was Adam and that nothing could spur him to change a certain aspect of his life, except the psychiatrist joked, quote, perhaps a small caliber pistol. <laughs> For a moment, a smile flickered across Bandler's face. Yeah. He took the gun out of his pocket. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> the audience, all advanced NLP students, knew about his confrontational style and laughed. But, the psychiatrist said, the gun would only work if he knew Bandler was willing to use it. Bandler, with a grin on his face, said, I've got news for you. You've got no idea how nuts I am. <laughs> how many people have one in their pocket waiting for you? And you're going to tell me that I won't do it? I don't have to kill you. I just have to wound you. Yeah. I've done weirder things to clients, he says. Jesus. Yeah. And the psychiatrist's voice like cracks and goes really, because now he's being threatened with a fucking gun in his face. Yeah. I know you have, he, the psychiatrist responds. And- Bandler once had once boasted that he so thoroughly cured a man of acrophobia that the man had jumped off a bridge. It was like a story about Bandler that was going around. That's fear of heights? Yeah. 
Yeah. Bandler mocked with a psychiatrist. You didn't know it was going to be real, did you? Now, somehow or other, you made it real. That's different than me making it real. Yeah. <laughs> that's some, that's magician shit. That's, yeah. So finally, the psychiatrist, shaken, uh, surrendered. And he said, the change, it's possible. You, sure. Fucking sure. Yeah. Absolutely, Bandler responded, and his excitement ebbing. Otherwise, I would have shot you by now. The audience laughed, apparently relieved that the incident was over, and Bandler proceeded to analyze the dynamics of the psychiatrist's terror. Mm. Interestingly, later on, uh, commenting on Bandler's trial for murder one, this psychiatrist was asked about this, and he said that in retrospect, he thought that Bandler did help him change. Well, there you go. It's so fucked up. Like, we get, but yeah, it's like trauma will change people. No shit. It's it's one of the... <laughs> yeah. yeah. You waved a yeah. fucking gun in your face. That's definitely going to change you. <laughs> King insane. Yep. However, Bandler did also own a cigarette lighter that is a replica of a single shot twenty two caliber Derringer. Well... And he doesn't has, need to be a real gun. He has never said publicly what he aimed at the psychiatrist in 1984. Yeah. Yeah. Two years later, Richard Bandler would stand trial for the murder of James Marino's girlfriend, Corinne Christensen, Ooh. who was shot in the head. Not with James Rick- Marino's girlfriend. Yeah. James Marino's girl, his Coke dealer's girlfriend. Oh, you can't yeah. do that. Can't do that, bud. Corinne Christensen was shot in the head with Richard Bandler's 357 Magnum. Uh. Yeah. By 1986, the cocaine and gin had only gotten worse. Yeah. Bandler was living in a house built by James Marino. Get your fucking cokehead, coke dealer friend, only friend to build you a house. The house was fortified like a fucking security compound. Mm. Barred windows and skylights, an eight foot high fence, a trained German shepherd. Jesus Christ. Every room had solid core doors with deadbolts. Yeah, it was his brainwashing factory in there. Bandler used a voice stress analyzer, which is like similar to a lie detector, on visitors, every visitor, friend, or stranger doesn't matter but he had hidden cameras everywhere oh yeah his couple handguns had ballooned to a small arsenal uh in in addition to the 357 magnum and the 380 semi-automatic that was also involved in the murder police seized seven pistols two knives and mace yet bandler was also by several accounts a gentle loving father to his girlfriend paula mcfarland's children yeah he was also um he wasn't living with his girlfriend. He was living with his uh, well, other like, girlfriend, comely and surly uh, personal assistant, who was also his other girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> and the two women hated each other. Yeah. Yep. Ain't that how it goes? Yeah. So Corinne Christensen, she was 31 years old, 22, 22 years younger than James Marino, with whom she was hopelessly in love, despite no one in her life understanding why. Mm. She suffered like she, he was a piece of shit. Yeah. And like, they're like, yeah, like, no, you don't have to be a piece of shit. He's just bad news. Like, just let it go. Corinne suffered from a vague spiritual malaise. She she was one of those people that just tried on different meditation and spiritual practices. Yeah. Um, she, according to some sources, she had been helping Bandler with uh, bookkeeping and stuff like that and had asked him about NLP. Mm-hmm. She was also, a, she had been a sex worker for a long time and she then managed an exclusive call girl service. She helped Marino with his cocaine business, uh, even as she remained very close to her family. She rema- she railed up to a gram of blow a day, but remained fanatic about her health. You know, All her, right. She's, yeah. she's a hustler. She's a hustler. Yeah, that's exactly who she is. By the fall of 86, Marino had tired of Christensen, and he was preparing to fuck off to Florida with another woman. Mm. Christensen was not ready to let him go. On Saturday, October 25th, she convinced him to go with her to a Halloween party, which is this like... One of those cocaine events where it's lawyers and real estate brokers also with 
sex workers and pimps yeah. and shit like and fucking coke dealers yep. that whole the the rich underbelly yep. right so soon after they got to this party james reno was attacked for no apparent reason by some fucking burly dude who knocked out his front teeth and opened a wound beneath his right eye and fractured his skull he got the living fuck beat out of him huh. no fucking no idea why christensen rushed to help and then called a taxi and brought marino to the emergency room for three days, she nursed him in her home, feeding him protein drinks, vitamins, and chicken soup. Marino, probably going through, you know, cocaine withdrawal. Yeah. Uh, having gotten the shit kicked out of him, also being a fucking cokehead, which can change uh, the structure of your brain. <laughs> yes. His head started getting all crazy. Uh-huh. Swirled with plots in which he was the victim. The beating fanned his deepest fears. He became obsessed with Someone's the after him. that Corinne Christensen had arranged the beating yeah. to stop him from going to Florida or to steal his business or to because for any number of fucking insane reasons. Yeah. That he just to solidify this. It's pretty paranoid. It's extremely paranoid and not true, probably. It, also, it did immediately pop into my mind. Maybe. Like maybe. But, um, like. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, but it's just assumption. Unlikely. I don't know. He was also a fucking coke dealer. Yeah. A lot of people wanted to beat that dude up. Yeah. I can just say that and know it's true. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, Bandler didn't know about this until a few days later, and James Marino was Richard Bandler's only friend, right? And when Bandler saw the condition that Marino was in a couple of days later and heard all about his, you know, the paranoid rambling, he was joined right in. He was like, yeah. holy shit. Yeah, like, dude, she fucking got you beat up. And so he started making all these phone calls and shit, trying to find out what happened. Bandler did. He was going to get to the bottom of who hurt his fucking friend. Mm -hmm. He met Christensen in the office behind his home and grilled her about the beating. Uh, he's, he, he, uh, he recorded the conversation they had. He said, I need to ask you a simple question. Why is my friend hurt? When she evaded his questions, he began to shout and curse, pressing for information. No more than eight hours before her death, he gave an ultimatum. I'll give you two more questions and I'll blow your brains out. Well, okay. Yeah. Seems pretty um, cut and dry. Yeah. Well, when James Marino contacted police through an attorney on the afternoon of November 3rd, 1986, Corinne Christensen had been dead for about seven hours. Sheriff's deputies found her lying on the carpeted floor of her dining area, her face caked with blood, one leg draped on a wooden chair. Her home had been ransacked. There's also like this post-it note in which was like written in blood, like he'll kill us all or something like that. Something fucking horrible. Yeah. Did it look like a staged um, no. break-in? No, no, no. It was someone was looking for something. Yeah. And again, this is Marino telling the cops that they don't, they didn't just find this and like yeah. ask Marino. He's reporting this mm -hmm. to the cops, right? Right. So his speech slurred, often babbling and scarcely coherent. Marino told investigators a strange tale, which he repeated several times in the ensuing days, and then again at a preliminary hearing in April 1987 and at Bandler's trial in December of 1987. He had spent the previous night at Bandler's house, Marino said, because of his injuries. At dawn, Bandler had awakened him and played a tape recording of an argument he had had with Corinne Christensen. Although the tape was strangely garbled, Marino recognized Bandler and Christensen arguing. Bandler was agitated. He insisted that they drive to her house. So once inside, Marino said Bandler pulled a pistol and held it to Marino's head. Threatening to kill everyone in the room, right? Excellent. Bandler screamed at Christensen, accusing her of blackmail, and then soon he focused his anger entirely on Christensen. Using a steak knife, he tried to fashion a crude silencer by sawing the neck off a plastic soap bottle. Yeah. Soap dripped onto the gun barrel when he stuck it inside the, bar in, inside the bottle. 
so he pulled a second gun, a chrome-plated revolver. While Bandler yelled at Christensen in the dining area, Marino said he searched for an escape but found the second floor windows and garage door locked. Yeah. In frustration, Marino smashed a scale, which, which Christensen used to measure cocaine, on the floor of the garage. Dazed with pain, he slumped to the floor. Bandler found him in the garage and helped him to the couch, where he lay down and closed his eyes. According to Marino's testimony, when he opened them, he watched Bandler pick up the revolver, aim at Christensen. He shut his eyes. Within seconds, he heard the gun explode and then saw the scene. Marino said Bandler became placid. After helping Marino to the car, he drove to a wharf at nearby Monterey Bay, which I believe is a place where the rem- one of the remote viewing experiments took place. Yeah. Hmm. That would be very strange if that was- Yeah. Yeah. Where he ordered Marino to throw the revolver in the water. Marino tossed the gun to the bed. So the police were initially very skeptical of this story because it's ridiculous. A lot of it is just super ridiculous. Yeah. They, poli- they discovered- not that ridiculous. It's not that ridiculous, but- What's really ridiculous is Marino as this helpless victim. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's a Coke dealer. Well, is he still recovering from the the ass beating? Yes. Yeah. 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 And of course, Richard Bandler is famous Dr. Richard Bandler. Yeah. <laughs> He's rich. How could he do something like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they discovered some corroborating evidence. They found a mutilated bottle of lemon-scented Mr. Clean, uh, the soap bottle silencer. In Christensen's kitchen and a broken scale in the garage. Searching the home of Paula McFarlane, they found a Beretta 380 semi-automatic that officers testified smelled of lemon. Bandler's t-shirt was stained with lemon scent. It smells like lemon. Yeah. Well, he said the soap dripped into the gun barrel. Lemon. That doesn't just happen. <laughs> Bandler's t-shirt was stained with a lemon scented substance and his clothes were spattered with the victim's blood. And three days after the murder, divers recovered the chrome-plated 357 Magnum. What do you know? Police also confiscated the cassette that contained Bandler's death threat tape recorded on a voice-activated machine was barely intelligible. So Richard Bandler was charged with first-degree murder. James Reno was not charged with anything. He was the witness. Yeah. Between then and the trial, Marino's story about what happened changed constantly. Mm. Like every fucking day. He was just constantly changing the story. Yeah. Yeah. And also during the trial, too, he was just saying stuff. Yeah. His like, story was like literally changing by a lot, like every day. Which is, it wasn't like he was forgetting his lies. It was just, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, well, dude had a head injury. You know, maybe that, mm-hmm. like, maybe he was just stupid. Maybe he's just crazy, right? Yeah. Who knows? Bandler's trial lasted nearly three months. And it was widely publicized because this was the famous Dr. Richard Bandler. This is 1987. This is the height of the fucking hero pose and the fucking business seminars and doing some weird thing with my arms right now that I don't know what it means, but it's definitely <laughs> relevant. So it was a huge story, and it ultimately hinged upon a single question. Could the jury believe James Marino beyond a reasonable reasonable doubt when he said that Bandler shot Corinne Christensen? So although he told people throughout Santa Cruz that he blamed Christensen for his beating, James Marino denied this in court. His only explanation for Bandler's anger, a supposed lesbian affair between Bandler's girlfriend and Christensen, was implausible. Yeah. I don't think Bandler would have cared all that much, actually. No. He would have just stirred some more coke into his fucking gin. Yeah, whatever. Kept making millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Marino's story did not explain how Christians, Christensen's house had been ransacked. It seemed too convenient that Marino shut his eyes right before the shooting. And Marino's credibility was not enhanced by his claim, under oath, that he could turn streetlights on and off with his mind. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. Yeah. So, Bandler's story told in a boyish, apologetic tone, was the absolute mirror image of James Marino's. Marino, Bandler said. Yeah, oh, of course. Yeah. Asked him to press Christensen for information about the beating. 
It was Marino who insisted they visit her that morning. It was Marino, Bandler testified, who went on a rampage and accused his former girlfriend of sleeping with his friends, stealing, with, stealing his drugs and money, and attempting to blackmail him. Marino was the one who tried to fashion a silencer from a soap bottle. They struggled over the bottle, Bandler said, and soap spilled on his shirt. Marino, searching for drugs and money, ransacked the house. Finally, Bandler testified, James Marino rushed without warning into the dining area, stood between Bandler and Christensen, and fired a single shot into her face. You know what? Just to be safe, let's just put both these guys in jail. Yeah. No, that's exactly <laughs> how I feel. Like, <laughs> I, you know, we, we won't be nothing. Not, yeah. Guess how many of these guys go to jail? None. Right. Either. Yeah. On the witness stand, Bandler's voice nearly cracked as he described how Christensen slumped forward over the oak round table and how he supposedly stood and lifted her head. Choking, she spit blood onto his t-shirt and jeans. Bandler, shocked, let go, and she slid, dying to the floor. Bandler then drove to Paula McFarlane's house, he said, where he concealed his bloody clothes and cowboy boots in a closet. Fucking cowboy boots. Yeah. He spent the rest of, his, of the day there snorting coke and drinking gin. Mm. Bandler's story, like Marina's, left gaping holes. He did not call the police, he said, because Marino was a friend. He claimed he had not seen the 357 Magnum until Marino shot Christensen, but could not explain where his lanky friend had hidden a big-ass revolver. That's a big gun. The 357, like, that's a, that's a fucking, that's a threatening gun. Me. That's not a concealed for self-defense. That's a you want yeah. everyone to know you have a fucking 357 Magnum. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mr. Clean Soft Cleanser, an extremely viscous fluid, is unlikely to spill from an almost empty bottle in a brief struggle, as Bandler had claimed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Let's learn more about the fluid dynamics of Mr. Clean. <laughs> His contention that he lifted Christensen's head after the shooting seemed particularly suspect, although she was bleeding. There was no blood on the sleeves of his long sleeve t-shirt, and she left no bloody fingerprints in her house or his car. The afternoon of January 28th, 1988, after five hours of deliberation, a seven-man, five-woman jury voted unanimously to acquit Richard Wayne Bandler of murder and the death of Corinne Christensen. Confronted by a paradox, both stories were suspect, yet one man told the truth about the shooting. Not, not, not necessarily true. The jurors voted not guilty. They couldn't prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Yeah, I guess yeah. as a juror, it, like, it puts you in a really tough position. The trial was for Richard Bandler, and you have to prove beyond a, reason, beyond a reasonable doubt that Richard Bandler shot her and they couldn't do that couldn't do that yeah therefore and free. yeah uh and although the more than one juror remained haunted by the decision at least two cried after leaving the courthouse because they knew that someone had gotten away with murder yeah yeah no one how, went to jail how the fuck is casey anthony just allowed to right right like yeah. what the fuck yeah man i mean <laughs> you know? here's the thing like i would always prefer a couple guilty people to go free than innocent people to be locked in a fucking cage yeah like definitely. i i will always always fall on that richard bandler seems like you know even if he didn't commit the murder it's like maybe he needs, <laughs> to, he needs the napoleon treatment send him to an island yeah 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 <laughs> so like by himself yes yeah no technology no 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 talk no. to the turtles <laughs> we'll raise a turtle He'll army start, <laughs> learn how to brainwash the turtle yeah dude <laughs> He'll start oh, doing God. like like weird um like what is it the island of Doctor Moreau? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he'll start doing that shit with oh, the animals. Boy, yeah, yeah. So the next morning, the Santa Cruz Sentinel published a black and white photograph of Bandler beneath a banner headline: "Bandler not guilty." The island of Doctor Bandler. <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, Bandler woke the next morning after the acquittal. He found a sea of roses outside his house. Eleven dozen flowers covered the doorway, the lawn, and two cars in the driveway. Beautiful. Yeah. They were, said a colleague who had scattered them, the sign of a new beginning. Wow. Bandler moved to San Diego, continued his NLP work. 
What friend did that? I thought he didn't even have any friends. A colleague. A colleague. Yeah. Wow. People loved him. I didn't really touch on too much, but it was like students and people he taught on. The people who loved okay. him fucking loved him. All right. Yeah. Like creepily, you know. Well, he can, he's, he's got the powers of manipulation. Right. Yeah. He seemed this whole experience didn't really change this dude at all. In 88, he was in Dallas for a workshop advertised as a weekend with Dr. Richard Bandler, who was, as usual, unpredictable and provocative, mixing demonstrations of NLP with a rambling, funny monologue. One of the funniest stories was about a schizophrenic client who thought he was Jesus. Bandler would cure the man, by, he said, by building a cross and threatening to crucify him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Jesus anymore. Yeah. Please don't crucify me. <laughs> Later in a bar, Bandler drank heavily and told one story from his imagined career as a professional musician of a brutal 74-day concert tour. <coughs> and Richard Bandler continues to teach NLP even now. He's old as fuck and looks like shit, but he's also rich as the devil. So so there you go. NLP can't cure your vades. It won't cure your phobias in minutes, but apparently it can, with just a little luck, help you get away with murder or accessory to murder. To be fair, it could have been either one. Who Good did to it. know. Now, I didn't write this into the script, but I found something I found this rambling ass conspiracy theory website. Oh boy. Because you really can't find much on this. Uh huh. This whole story. Like, there's this article from Mother Jones in 1989, which you have to look at like the image files of. And then there's like news stories and stuff, but like, no one's really talked about this. Like, modern. Mm hmm. Which is really weird to me. It's very interesting. Or maybe they've made videos that I never like look on YouTube for research. Maybe I should more. But I, I always I, yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. I don't ever really include it in the yeah. episode, but I always love to see what's on YouTube about yeah. the topic. Yeah. I mean, I try to stick to like the primary. NLP YouTube second. is weird. It's super weird. Yeah. It's bizarre. It's a weird world. There's one video that is 10 hours of Richard Bandler clips. Wow. <laughs> Fucked up. Wow. Um, yeah. So there's this conspiracy theory website that's like real classic ass fucking Times New Roman on a white page. Right. Way too many par parenthetical sentences, mm -hmm. caps, all caps, strings of question marks. They don't need to be. If you remove yeah. all that bullshit, you might have a convincing argument. You might be able to get through it. This rambling conspiracy theory fucking bullshit cites this one article that appeared in the Mercury, like the Mercury Daily News, West Magazine, uh -huh. some like a California paper that doesn't exist anymore or something. It was like the Sunday edition of this paper. It cites this story by a woman named Kathy Hube, H-O-U-B, called Mind Over Murder, that I could not find. This is why I didn't include this in the script, but I still want to talk mm -hmm. about it with the caveat. I couldn't find this article. This dude quotes it, cites it. Yeah. Um, the date of publication, the year, can't find it. Uh, Damn. Even in the archives of this website. And I looked yeah. for it. I was ready to pay the $3.95 to read that one. Way more interested in that than, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> I miss being a college student because I had access to so many great yeah. online archives to find like magazines, newspapers, research papers. Yeah. Well, as, you know, as far as I can tell, I, I admittedly, I was only able to look for a couple hours for this. Yeah. But I looked through archives. I looked through paid archives, you know, yeah. and I could not find a copy of this. This story, mind Damn. over mind. In this story, apparently. Yeah. I mean, I guess it would only be there if someone scanned it. They had the articles going back further. Yeah. It's weird. It's just, it's odd. Maybe I wasn't searching right, but I did quite a bit of searching. But Kathy Hugh apparently reported that Corinne Christensen helped Richard Bandler with his books and with his NLP business. Mm hmm And that Bandler was still doing consulting for the CIA. Yeah. Because that was actually a, a thing he did. 
the CIA did use Vandler for consulting work for things because NLP was taken much more seriously at the beginning than it was later on. There's only been limited scientific like papers done on NLP. I, I wouldn't say enough studies have been written to really have the big announcement. This is a pseudoscience that's been widely discredited. It's like there's the research that's been done has not been great for NLP, but there also really hasn't been a lot of research. It's only been a couple. Yeah. You know? But at, at, at a time, the CIA hired Richard Bandler for consulting work. And we know the CIA loved their fucking mind control shit. They, they did. You yeah. know? They do. They do. Although it's now probably uh, private corporations doing it, but that's a whole other thing. Oh, God. I wish it was still the CIA. But yeah. So like this story of... Uh, alleges some weird CIA connections, like more, more in-depth mind control like that they, they, they were mm-hmm. more in bed with one another, Bandler and the CIA. This doesn't surprise me. And the insinuation, of course, in this conspiracy theory website about why this story, these facts that Kathy Hugh pulled up or whatever, was never reported by any other paper. And assumedly why I can't find it. Yeah. Right? Is that... It was a fucking... Has been wiped for a reason. It was an it was an agency killing, like yeah. that that she they were worried about her exposing CIA shit. Mm-hmm. And of course, CIA in this term. Did you try if, to look up anything about her or any of her other articles or anything? Yes. Yeah, I found a couple of people assumingly the same name, but yeah, um, nothing that like it didn't make nothing conclusive. No. Okay. No. Yeah. So like that honestly means nothing because you can't corroborate it. Mm-hmm. But it's something I'm going to put in a nonsense bizarre episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, fuck. So that's the NLP episode. Holy shit. Two of discs. Two of pentacles. Change. Mm-hmm. Get rich, a bigger dick, you'll get away with murder. I don't know. <laughs> I think I, I... Well, I think... So I'm imagining the the writer weight version, which is yeah. like the juggler. Yes. And juggling it in the figure eight pattern, the infinity pattern. Yeah. And the uh, Thoth deck has... A snake with a crown on it, which is Richard Bandler's spirit animal, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, doing a doing the Ouroboros thing, like eating its own tail in the figure eight pattern around yeah. two different um, yin yang symbols, right? So it's kind of the same Im- imagery, but I like the writer. Never ending story. <laughs> but the the juggler aspect I like too. Yeah, with this because it's about the person doing the juggling. I mean, Richard Bandler doing the juggling mm-hmm. all this shit. He sure kept those balls in the air too. Still. Yeah. This man is rich as fuck. Yeah. Today. Didn't even have a fucking heart attack yet. Dude's 70 something. He's fucking 72. Yeah. He was breathing in cocaine through his mouth lungs. <laughs> and, and he's still trucking. Take a pause, Chad. Yeah. The fuck? It's not fair. And yet. Yeah. He's fucking hypnotist, man. Yeah. They're very calm. Calm people. Mm. Not stressed. Yeah. But yeah, like I, I see the two of discs referring to both. It's the way we change things, the mechanics by which change occurs in, in case of NLP. Yeah. It's the juggling and the juggler. It's mm-hmm. the person learning the rhythm of that juggle aspect to keep that shit in the air at all times and keep the yeah. flow going. And so much of this stuff is about just working with the flow of things. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think one of the reasons why I call it a, a school of magic is because and I think this is why a lot of different schools of magic work for different people. Different metaphors jive with people differently. Yeah. And I see NLP as Richard Bandler's form of chaos magic, right? It's none of these things are literally mm-hmm. true. 
This isn't a literal language. It's yeah. a symbol system, a dream logic system that works for Richard Bandler perfectly, right? Or maybe not considering, you know. Yeah. So, right. The ability to influence people is yeah. a power. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a power that all of us wield. Yeah. I mean, we're all, you know, influencing other people passively, but to do it deliberately without them knowing yeah. or even with them knowing and, and opting into it. Yeah. I mean. And it working. Well, I was going to say, you know, it works perfectly for Richard Bandler mm-hmm. and it works really well for some people who yep. probably have similar brains to Richard Bandler, maybe similar upbringings too, similar, similar shared symbols, sets of shared symbols. Yeah. Right? I don't think, I mean, I, and I think I, I could see how there's people who it just wouldn't work for because they don't jive with the set of symbols. Right. Yeah. Basically, if you decide it's going to work and it resonates with you, then it will work. Yeah. If your brain just doesn't reject that symbol system. Automatically. Yeah. I mean, though, like they don't use specific sets of symbols. They There's methods of getting, of finding out what your symbols are mm-hmm. and using that. But it's squirrely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm thinking of like the time that I spent learning how to juggle mm-hmm. over like, of course, hyper-focusing on it. Yeah. I, I had a juggling phase. Oh, too. It's so much fun when it clicks. You yeah. get into that fucking rhythm and it flows, but like it's juggling is one of those things where you're going to come up with a, a, a kind of gestalt feeling of what that rhythm is. Right. You know, how to explain that, the rhythm of juggling to your own brain right? mm-hmm. and to your body. Yeah. And yeah. it, it really strengthens the mind body connection. Oh, definitely. It's like, uh, I, there's a way I feel when I play hacky sack. I'm secretly very good at hacky sack. It's like the one <laughs> physical nice. thing that I'm like really good at. <laughs> and I, and also, I mean, the other part of the two of discs is I've seen in this like infinity symbol gears also. Mm-hmm. NLP is about finding the gears of the world and yeah. turning them and seeing how those gears work, how to and some of the techniques fucking work. Some of it's fucking dangerous. Some of it works though. Like it just straight up, even some of the conversational language pattern shit works. It just oh, yeah. does. Oh yeah. Man, suddenly I feel the urge to subscribe to the Nonsense Bizarre Patreon. That's right. You can easily allow yourself to go to the Patreon. <laughs> the Patreon. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. No, we're not going to do that. We're honest people. Mm-hmm. If you've stuck with us throughout this whole episode, it's because you know we're honest, upstanding yeah. people. <laughs> I but try yeah, to be. I try to be too. I'm honest to a fault, honestly. I'm I'm an oversharer. <laughs> yeah. But that's not a bad thing. Yeah. We do have a Patreon. Yes, we do. <laughs> it is patreon.com slash nonsense bizarre. For five dollars a month, you get access to bonus episodes, live streams. If I ever just like do too much gin and cocaine and come up with a conspiracy theory. I'll post it there. So I want it to go to a limited audience. Yeah. <laughs> but it'll be good. I promise. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time. And also you can leave us a rating and review. That's right. That also really helps. Sure uh, does. You can tell your friends, you can tell your gurus, you can tell Tony Robbins. You can tell your ventriloquy dummies. No, don't tell them. They, that's not, that's the, that's ex- expending energy for no I get no benefit from that. <laughs> if you tell your ventriloquist dummies about my show, I get zero benefit from that. Yeah, I do. That's that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. Take care of yourselves. Take care. Peace out. Peace. <laughs>